Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. So last weekend we went on a prayer retreat and there were about 90 of us, some fielder members and some staff that were together praying and seeking the Lord. I shared a little bit about this last week and, and as I was at this prayer retreat, there was just something the Lord did where he, he spoke uh, a message to me, to my heart about our church body and it happened during the time of prayer. Now the only way to understand really what the Lord did is to understand how these prayer retreats work. So the idea of these prayer retreats is that the whole time we are preparing ourselves for the last final moment of prayer. We're, we're confessing sin, we're searching our hearts, we're reading the scriptures, we're praying, we're, we're letting the Lord work on us, we're doing all this work. So at the very end, for the last hour and a half, right before we take the Lord's Supper, we cry out to God in prayer. And we are knocking on heaven's door, we're, cr- we're crying out to God on behalf of the church, the vision, praying for you guys. And there was something I noticed that God prayed for kind of over and over and over again during that time. One of the things that was prayed for was that God would start a fire among the congregation. We were praying for revival to break out, for the church to wake up and to really have a passion for God. And it happened over and over and over again. And I started to take note of it. And I realized as we were there that there was a reason why God was calling us to pray, why the Spirit was compelling us to pray for a fire to grow inside the church. And what I'm about to say, I don't say lightly. I believe it's because right now there is not a fire in our church for King Jesus. Now listen, I'm not saying that there aren't people who are, who are on fire for Jesus in our church. There are. I was just with 90 of them. They were people who were on fire for Jesus, praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. I know there are some of you, and you are white hot in your faith for Jesus. But I think if you look at our church as the whole, and I'm the shepherd of this church, so I feel the weight of this. If we look at the church as a whole, what I see is we're in great danger of getting complacent, of getting relaxed, of just sitting back and coasting through the faith. And let me say this, Jesus did not die for us to coast through our faith. He died on a cross to redeem us of our sins and then to to go out and tell the world the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And he wants us to have a fire and a burden and a passion for his glory and for his name. And so right now, I believe God is telling us we need to press on in the faith. We need to keep going forward. And right now, we are at the halfway mark of the 10-year vision that God has given us. This year is halfway through it. And I think it could get, get really easy for us to start making some excuses as we're heading toward these, this vision God has given us. Well, we didn't know COVID was going to happen. We didn't realize there was going to be an ice age earlier in the year. We didn't realize people were going to lose their jobs and things were going to be hard. And, and I don't think God has given us room right now to make excuses. I think he's given us a vision. And he's saying, I want you to work toward that vision. I want you to give yourselves toward this, to extend my glory to the ends of the earth. And I think today, God is putting on my heart a desire to talk to you about saying we need to step up and we need to put the fire back in our hearts for King Jesus and to move forward in this vision. And I believe the Lord wants to use a passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3 to do so. It just so happens this is the very passage we came to as we're walking through the book. It's almost as if God orchestrated this divinely, like he does that kind of thing from time to time. Exactly what he did. He's going to let the Apostle Paul kick us in the pants this morning to revive us in the fire that we need to have to serve him. It's in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 12 in a second. So I know every single Sunday we have guests who are tuning in, and so I'm grateful that you're watching this. If you're a guest, what we're doing is we're going to the book of Philippians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, working our way through it, and we're a little over halfway into it. 
And this morning, God is going to talk to us about Paul's message that he wrote to a church in Philippi. Now, Paul had planted the church some 10 years before, and he's going to write to them, telling them with strong language, they need to persevere, and they need to press on in the faith, and they need to work hard to maintain the faith. So you're going to listen to his language as we go through this, and I think you're going to hear a message for us. Beginning in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Philippians, he says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to that which we have attained. So you can hear in the language early on what he talks about. is It's a language of force. He, he says twice, press on in verse 12. Then again in verse 14, I press on toward the goal. In verse 13, he says, I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. And this language is language of, of effort, of work, of exerting yourself. In fact, that phrase press on in both 12 and 14, it's, it's a word that means to, to strive after something eagerly, to pursue something with force. It's di dioko in Greek. It's a word that also means to persecute. It's the very word that was spoken of Paul when it said that he used to pursue after the Christians in order to incarcerate them and kill them, to pursue them with force. That's dioko. It's the idea of seeking something with passion and force and violence even. It was actually a military word. It was used to describe when one army was defeating another and then they were chasing them down to take them by force. That's the word, dioko. It was pursuing them forcefully. So what he's talking about when he says press on, he's saying we've got to press into this faith forcefully. We've got to work ourselves. We've got to strive with force to what God has called us to do. And then in verse 13, it talks about straining forward. That word in Greek means to, to stretch and extend yourself. It was an athletic term. It was used to describe like when someone's running a 100-yard dash and they're sprinting with every fiber of their being and their veins are popping out, sweat is just pouring off their brow, and right before they get to the finish line, you know what they do? They stretch out and extend their chest to try to cross in first using the very last bit of their energy to win the race. That's what Paul's talking about. He says that's the way the Christian faith is supposed to be. We exert every bit of ourselves and, and we stretch out as much as we can to win the race. He's describing the Christian faith as work, hard work, where we exert ourselves to serve our God. Now, if you were here last week, there should be some alarms going off in your mind right now. A little beep, 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 danger, danger. What's going on here, Jason? This sounds like the exact opposite of what you told us last week. In fact, the, the message title of last week was, it's not what we do, it's who we know that matters. And now I'm saying what we do matters. You go, which one is it, Jason? It can't be both. Well, actually, it can be both. You just have to understand how salvation works. See, Paul has given us a different facet, a different understanding of our salvation. Now, you might want to write these three words down. I think they're really important to understand salvation, but these are the basics of how salvation works. There are three components of it. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Big old fancy words that you can use to impress your friends. Paul is helping us understand these three elements of our salvation. Now, justification is when we are justified by the work of Christ Jesus. We are declared just or declared righteous. This is what happens immediately when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We, he, we give him our filth. He gives us his righteousness, and we are declared just. We are justified by him. In fact, this is exactly what he spoke about last week in verse 9. I want you to go back to it, and I want you to see this concept. Chapter 3, verse 9, he said, And we want to be found in him, talking about in Christ, 
not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's saying there's a righteousness that we get in exchange. Christ gives us his righteousness and immediately we are declared righteous. That's justification. When you believe in Christ Jesus, you are justified. When the father looks at you, he sees the very righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. But when you are justified, you begin a process called sanctification where you are for the rest of your life until you die or Christ returns, you are being continually conformed, sanctified. It's from the word sanctus, which means holy. You are being made holy, conforming into the image of Jesus Christ. It's exactly what he said in verse 10 of, of last week. So in verse nine was justification. Verse 10 is sanctification. Look back at that verse. He says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We're becoming like Christ. That's the process of sanctification. And every single believer undergoes this process where we work at it. We join the spirit of God in the work of becoming like Christ Jesus until one day we either breathe our last or Christ returns and we enter into glorification. Glorification is when we join with the glory of Christ Jesus. And that's what he was talking about in verse 11. So verse nine was justification. Verse 10 was sanctification. Verse 11 is glorification. Look at what it says. And that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I may attain that for which I was saved for. Full glorification. One day that's coming. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Last week we focused on justification, getting righteousness from Christ. This week, Paul is focusing in on sanctification. The long, arduous, hard work process by which we are conformed into the image of Jesus and which we participate with the Spirit of God, exerting ourselves, straining and stretching and pressing on to become like Jesus Christ. Now, I think Paul's given us a very important message. What he's telling us is that in order for us to mature in the faith, we have to work hard. We have to strengthen. We're not going to stumble into Christian maturity. And I think there's a lot of us that think about this wrong. We think that the longer we're Christians, we're just going to naturally grow in our faith. We're just going to naturally become more mature. But you don't stumble into maturity. You exert yourself. You work toward it. It requires hard work. And there are two things that will keep you from going on this journey of hard work. Either one, you don't think you need it, or two, you don't think you can do it. And Paul actually talks to both of these. He talks to those who say they think they don't need it, need it by saying, first of all, I, the apostle Paul, need it. I mean, look at some of the terminology he used in this passage. He says, I, I haven't already obtained this. I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't even pretend to be perfect. He says, I, I have to strain forward because I have not made it my own yet. I haven't arrived yet. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, the great church planner and missionary, the one who wrote half the New Testament. And if this brother says, I haven't made it, guess what? You haven't and I haven't either. We are in this process and it requires humility to know we need to go on this journey. Now, what can happen sometimes to us is we can look back to our past and remember some of the things that we've done and think that, no, we've already arrived. No, I, I prayed a sinner's prayer already. I'm done, man. I did that. I mean, I've, I've gone to church for all this time. I'm good. I've given a lot of money to the church. I've logged in a lot of hours. You know, I did a D group before. I mean, I'm good. I read through the Bible once about 20 years ago. I'm good, man. I've done it. And the whole idea of sanctification requires the humility to say, I am never done. God is not done with me. I am a work in progress and I have to strive. I have to continue reading. I have to continue striving after God, praying, seeking, discipling and being discipled, growing in my faith until I breathe my last or Christ returns. It requires us to say, I haven't arrived. I need this. But the second thing that I think can get us in trouble is that we might think we can't do it. 
And the reason why is because we think we're too much of a failure. We're looking at our past and we're going, I've screwed up. It's over. I'm never going to attain to anything great because I've ruined my life. That's why Paul in verses 13 and 14 says, no, you got to forget the the back and move to the front. Look at what he says. I'm going to reread those verses for you in verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, he says, I press on toward the goal. I forget what's behind so I can strain toward what's ahead. Listen, I know right now the enemy is having a heyday with so many of you because he is condemning you and accusing you and whispering to you, reminding you of all your failures, all the things that you've done wrong. Yeah, remember that time you did that? Remember the time you said that? Remember the time you hurt this person? Remember the time you failed at that? And he's going, you're, you're, you're a loser. You're gone. You got nothing. God's disappointed and he doesn't want you. You're broken. And he's whispering over and over and over. And sadly, there are so many of us believing that lie. This past Wednesday at our prayer time, we have a virtual prayer gathering at noons. I hope you're able to be a part of it. But the theme was resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here's what I know. I know the devil is whispering to many of us and we're not resisting enough. We have to forget what lies behind. Forget we are no longer defined by our past. Word of God says that if we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So every time we screw up, we say, God, I'm sorry. He forgives us and we move forward forgetting what lies behind. It doesn't have to shackle us or hold us back anymore. We can press on to what God has for us. We are not disqualified because of the grace of Jesus Christ himself. You just got to believe it. And so what he's trying to say to you right now is forget your past, forget your brokenness, forget your failure, forget what's been done to you and press on toward the faith. Do the hard work of sanctification. I know what you're thinking right now, Jason. You're saying, Jason, I I, I love the fact that the Bible talks about grace and, and, and man, I would love to do what you're saying, but I don't know how to forget my past, Jason. I go to sleep and I have dreams about my failure. I wake up and I feel the shame of my failure and I don't know what to do. How do I overcome this? How do I forget my past? Well, praise God, the apostle Paul told us how. He told us in verse 12. He says, you remember the gospel of Jesus. Look at verse 12 again, reread it. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Listen to this, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here's what the apostle Paul is saying. He's saying the reason why I press on, the reason why I work so hard is because Christ Jesus has pressed into me and taken a hold of me. What he was talking about was his conversion experience that happened to him. I shared a little bit about this last week and we shared with you last week about what happened to Paul on the the way to Damascus. But, But I want you to hear straight from Paul's own lips. I want you to hear from him what happened. So here's the context. Paul at this season now is persecuting Christians. His name is Saul at the time before the Lord changes his name to Paul. He's Saul and he's seeking to take down Christians and he has gone to the chief priests in Jerusalem. They've given him permission to go to a city called Damascus to to round up the Christians and incarcerate them and drag them back to Jerusalem so they can be punished. And on his road to Damascus, he meets someone that changes him for all eternity. Now I want you to listen to his words. Keep your place in Philippians 3, but I'm gonna flip over to Acts chapter 26. Verses 12 and on, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? 
And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here's Paul going to Damascus to, to persecute Christians, that same Greek word to pursue ferociously and forcefully these Christians. And Jesus meets him over there and says, no, 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 I got a new trajectory for you, Paul. I got a new calling for you. I got a new name for you. What I love about the story is that Paul was not pursuing Jesus in the least, but he's trying to stamp out the name of Jesus. But when Paul was not pursuing Jesus, Jesus was pursuing Paul. Jesus was coming after Paul saying, I want you. He was taking a hold of Paul and he says, Paul, I got something so much greater for you. I want to make you new. I want to give you a new name. You're not Saul. You're not Paul. I want to give you a new commission. You're no longer going to kill Christians. You're going to join them and plant churches and make Christians. You're going to have a new identity. You're going to have a new eternity. I'm making all things new. And Paul received it. And he let the Lord take hold of him. And he was never the same again. And what Paul was saying back in Philippians chapter three is I remember that day when Christ Jesus took a hold of me and I'm not the same. So I press on, I work, I do whatever he wants me to do because I cannot believe he has taken hold of me. It was this story, he was remembering his conversion that fueled his fire. And I wanna say the same thing will be true for you. When you remember your story, when you remember the moment when Christ took a hold of you, that's when the fire comes back to you. Do you remember your story? Listen, if you work hard and you think through and you can't remember your story, listen, that's indicative of something. I want you to really wrestle with that because if you don't have a story, it may mean that you have not yet entered into faith in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna tell you a little bit later on what you can do about that, but I want you to keep on listening because you need to have a story. But I know there are many of you listening, you have a story. You can remember when Christ took a hold of you, but you have not thought about that moment for a long, long time and you need to. In fact, in preparation for the story, man, God lit a fire in me as I was just remembering what Christ did in my life. My story, when he came to me and he made me his own when I was 17 years old, right before I was gonna go off to college. I, I, I remember it well because the, the feeling, the sense I had was so deep. So back then, man, I struggled immensely with incredible insecurities. I was starved for people's approval. Now, it's not that I, I didn't have a great home. I had wonderful parents who constantly showered encouragement over me and poured into me. In fact, part of my problem was I wanted to live up to the high standards they thought of me. But I, I struggled to feel like I was accepted, like people really respected me. And part of it was when I was a kid, I was very overweight. And I, I always looked in the mirror and I saw, I felt, I felt broken. I felt wrong and so mediocre and you know, I mean, I played sports and I was decent with hand-eye coordination, but I was always slow. I'd get tired really easy and it just, it made me feel less than. You know, and I did well in school. I made good grades, but I wasn't ever the top of the class. I wasn't valedictorian or salutatorian. I, I just, I felt mediocre. And I mean, I wasn't lonely. I mean, I had friendships with other people, but, but they felt shallow sometimes. I mean, you talk about girls. I, I, was, the, I was the cuddly friend that was safe to be around because you weren't really attracted to them. It's called the friend zone. Let me tell you, as a junior high and high schooler, it stinks to be in the friend zone. Well, that's where I was trapped for so long and I just felt so inadequate, so unloved, and I just longed for people's approval. And, and, and sometime around my sophomore or junior year, a friend of mine, he taught me a, a, a beautiful thing in my life. He taught me how to run and how to exercise and, and how to change life patterns for myself. And so I went through a metamorphosis. 
I was convinced the solution to my problem was going to be I had to lose weight. I had to become a new me. And when I did that, finally, I was going to feel satisfied. And so over the course of about three months, I lost like 20 pounds and I grew a few inches and I came back to school with a metamorphosis. I was a brand new person. And everything I had hoped for began to take place. Like I, I, I kept playing sports, but all of a sudden I was faster. I could, I could run longer. I got better. I, I felt like I had gotten more discipline in my life. So I was actually making better grades because I had more discipline. People started taking more notice of me. Girls actually thought of me as a guy and not a cuddly friend, you know, and I started to have dates and all. Like it, was, it was all these things I had hoped for. And I thought, finally, I'm going to feel good about myself. There was a problem. Nothing changed. I still walked around feeling so insecure, so broken, so longing for people's approval, so bent on whether did that person like me or not? Did they accept me or not? And I just had these ups and downs all the time and I felt as broken as ever until I had two friends who came to me and invited me to their church. Now, I didn't know this at the time. It's a really good thing I didn't know this, but I was their, their church project because their youth pastor had told them, go find a lost kid, invite him to church. And I, I think you got like a pizza party or something crazy like that. I don't know. I was their project. I was the one lost dude they knew. So they invited me to church and they said, hey, we play basketball. They have good snacks so you should come. So I said, all right, I'll check it out. And I went and I had a blast because the girls were cute. The basketball was fun. The snacks were good. So I kept going back week after week. And, and you know, I'd put up with the Bible study to have the fun that was there. But I, I did that for a few months. And, and then we were challenged by the youth pastor to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and I didn't know this at the time, but all this was God's orchestration because he was beginning to pursue me. And he was going to pursue me in his own word. And when I started reading the Gospels, man, I read about this guy named Jesus. And holy cow, he was everything I wanted to be. The man was amazing. He was, he was so confident, but he wasn't arrogant. He was bold, but he was humble. Man, he was a guy who would speak hard truth, but he would do it gently. He, he was a man that just like people loved him. They hated him. He didn't care because he knew who he was. And he was loving and, and he was kind and he was caring and he was strong and he was everything I had dreamed of becoming. And I saw him and I'm like, yes, that's who I want to be. And as I'm reading through the Gospels, all of a sudden I get this invitation from him in, in the scriptures where I read a passage where Jesus, it was as if he was talking to me, like, like I'm talking to you. He says, come to me, all of you who are tired and broken, and I'll give you rest and I knew the moment I read that, he was talking to me. He was saying, Jason, I know you're tired. I know you're tired of trying to get people to like you, try, tired of trying to feel good enough, tired of trying to change yourself. I know it's not working. You're broken inside. Come to me, and I'll give you rest, and I'll heal you. And it was in the summer right before I was going to go off to college at a youth camp in Colorado where we were there, and I felt him beckoning me, trying to make me his own. And I finally said, okay, Jesus. I'm yours. And I surrendered to him. And I asked him to take over my life. And let me tell you, brother, sister, I was a different person after that. I went off to college and I was on fire for King Jesus because this man had transformed me. Now, I wasn't like perfect by any stretch. I still had some insecurities, but I had a confidence that I had never had before to be who I was in Christ. And man, as the more I studied, the more I read about Jesus, the more I grew in my faith, the more I wanted to do for him, the greater the fire got. So it's my freshman year and I'm, I'm going there to go into ministry or to go into medicine to be a doctor. And God says, no, I want you to go into ministry. I want you to be a pastor. Yes, Lord, I'll do it because I want more of you. As I'm heading through college, I get toward the end. I'm, I'm about to, to go to seminary and God says, no, I want you to go overseas for two years and be a missionary. And I say, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. 
Because the more I thought back to how he came and he grabbed a hold of me and pursued me and rescued me, the more I wanted to do for him. When I remembered my story, it brought a fierceness and a passion and a fire for him. This is what happens when you remember your salvation story. It's exactly what happened to Paul. He said, you, you want to know why I press on? Because I remember that Christ Jesus has made me his own. And when you remember your story, it will cause you to press on, to grow in your faith. It will cause you to love King Jesus and have a fire for him. But let me tell you what else it'll do. It'll cause you to want every single person around you to know the same fire and to love Jesus just as much as you do. In fact, it'll begin to break your heart when they don't love him the way that you do. This is exactly what happened to Paul. As we keep reading the passage, you're going to read the one time we have in all of Scripture where Paul ever talks about crying in tears. And you're going to see why in just a moment. Keep on reading with me. Verse 17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The only time in all of Scripture where we hear Paul talk about doing something with tears and crying. And why? Because he's brokenhearted that there are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, now there's some debate about exactly what it means, the enemies of the cross of Christ. But there's no doubt he's talking about people who are lost. People who have not come to faith in the cross of Jesus Christ for salvation. You know about it because of the way it talks about them in verse 19. He talks about how their God is their belly and, and they glory in their shame. What he's talking about are people who are driven by sensual and sexual appetites, driven by their passions and their lusts. Whatever they feel like doing, they just go ahead and do it. That's where they live and breathe. Then he talks about how they have their minds set on earthly things. They're living their, their entire lives for this temporary world striving to get ahead, to earn money, to achieve, to be successful. All those things that only last for a blip in all of eternity. They're wasting themselves for it. But the, the, most, the most convincing one that we know this is talking about the lost is the beginning of verse 19. He said, their end is destruction. Here's what he's saying. These people who are enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is eternal destruction, hopeless condemnation. That's what happens. And Paul says, when I think about these people and there's the gospel right in front of them and their end is destruction and they're driven around by their passions and they don't know the goodness of the cross of Jesus Christ, his heart broken. He says, I can't stand it. That there are people in Philippi that are dying and going to hell when they have an opportunity. I weep over it. And he's calling the Philippians and he's calling us to weep with him. He wants our heart to be broken over the lost. Listen, this is why I'm so passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why I want you, if you're here and you don't know whether you know Jesus Christ for salvation, this is why I want you to listen because I want you to know Christ. I want you to have heaven. I don't want you to be an enemy of the cross and there's no middle ground. Either you bow down before the cross for salvation or you are an enemy of the cross and that end is destruction. And I want you to have life. I pray for you. I'm praying that today you would give your life to Jesus Christ. Listen, I know there are many of you who are believers. You've already given your life to Jesus Christ. He wants your heart and my heart to break over the lost like Paul's did. But this is why the vision that God has given us is so important. Because our vision is about taking the gospel all over this world. It's about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is why right now I hope you're doing it. Many of us are praying through the Joshua Project app as we're praying through all the unreached, unengaged people groups of the world because we want God to move and our heart breaks for them.
But listen, the, the lost live all around you. There are enemies of the cross all around you. Some of them live two, two houses down from you and they don't know Christ. Some of them, they, they work two cubicles over from you at work and they don't know Christ. That might be the girl in your biology class and she doesn't know Christ. It might be your nephew who's decided that Jesus isn't real. These are real people, people that you know and love and they are enemies of the cross because they have not come to faith in Christ and our heart needs to break over them. In the moment our heart breaks and we remember what Christ has done for us, it lights a fire in us to take the good news of the gospel to them. So my question is, do you have that fire? Are you willing to take the gospel to them? I actually believe there are many of you watching this and you want them to come to know Jesus Christ. You want them to know what you know, but you haven't been bold in your faith. And I think one of the main reasons why you haven't is because you're scared to death of what those people are going to think about you if you get a little too up in their business about sharing Christ with them. They might think you're weird and you're not okay with that. I get it, man. We live in a very politically correct environment and you start talking about Jesus, people are going to go, man, don't be shoving Jesus down my throat. You, you keep your religion over there. I'll keep mine over here. As long as we keep it, we don't discuss religion. We're going to be okay. And we're so scared of offending somebody or, or being counted as strange or weird. We, we don't talk about Jesus so as not to offend. But I want to give you some shocking news. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are weird. Just get used to it. We need to get little bumper stickers that says, keep Christianity weird because we're weird people. And the very faith that we have is a weird faith. It's a foreign faith because we are foreigners. This is not our homeland. In fact, this is exactly why the Apostle Paul ends the way he does in verses 20 and 21. Listen to what he says. He's reminding us where our citizenship is. Listen, listen to what they say, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He says, remember your homeland. This is not your homeland. You are a foreigner. You are a citizen of heaven. Now he brings this up specifically talking to the Philippians because of their love of their Roman citizenship. Philippi was a Roman colony. And because of it, the vast majority of Philippians, they were, they were followers of the Roman ways and they got to have Roman citizenship. Now Roman citizenship was a rare thing. Not many had it because it was, you had to be born with it or you had to pay a lot of money to get it. But there's a lot of rights and privileges that came with Roman citizenship. And they were proud of it. And Paul says, guys, don't be proud that you're Roman citizens. Man, you want to be proud of something. Be proud that you're heavenly citizens. You want to talk about power. You want to talk about rights and privileges. It's heavenly citizenship. He says, the power, it says in, the, in verse 21, that enables Christ even to subject all things to himself. The power to control everything. Caesar doesn't have that power. Christ Jesus has that power. And when we're citizens of heaven, not Rome, that's when we experience that power. He says, be citizens of heaven. But know this, when you're a citizen of heaven, that's going to make you a stranger on this planet. It's going to make you weird. And we got to get okay with that. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He has a great quote about how weird we really are. Listen to what he says. He says, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, happiest when he feels worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge." Yes, sir, brothers and sisters, we are weird and we got to get okay with it. That's who we are. We are not of this world. 
And when we accept that fact, we're no longer afraid of being labeled as weird. We welcome it because we know our weird is so much better than their normal. And we're okay being different because we know that our weird will bless them and they can join us in our weirdness and be of a different kingdom. We just have to love them enough to say, I don't want your end to be destruction. I don't want you to be an enemy of the cross. I want you to find salvation in Christ Jesus. And though this may offend you for me to tell you this, I tell you because I love you and I know how good my Savior Jesus Christ is. Let me tell you my story. And we get to share the good news of the gospel with them. And when they discover what we discover, they're going to join us and saying, I want to be a citizen of heaven as well. So my question for you is, do you love him enough? Do you love him enough to say, I'm willing to let the world know the good news of the gospel of Jesus? I, I, think, I think there's probably no better way for us to finish than by taking the Lord's Supper and remembering why he is worthy of us being weird for. And remembering the body and the blood of Jesus. But I want to encourage you to do something. So in a moment, we're going to have some worship and we're going to sing a song and we're going to remember who we are in Christ, that we are chosen, that we are not forsaken, that we are who he says we are. And we're going to remember that story. But before we sing, I want you to do something. I want you to stop and I want you to think about your own testimony, your own story of faith. When was it when Christ took a hold of you? When was it that he made you his own and you submitted to his will and your life was changed? I want you to remember your conversion moment because I think when you do, it'll light a fire inside of you. It'll make you want to share that story with others. So before you sing the song, before we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to stop and pray and remember your story and rejoice in it. But let me also say this. There are many of you watching and you may not know that story because you never had that story. You've never had that moment when, when you fully gave your life to Jesus Christ and he utterly transforms you. But I believe today can be that day. And, and I get this, guys. I know it's weird. I'm talking to you through a video. And it, it'd be really easy for you to go, no, I'm, I'm just watching a video. God, God's not really talking to me. Let me make this really clear. This is not me talking to you. This video is just a tool that God is using to speak to you. The Holy Spirit himself is calling you. Jesus Christ is pursuing you the way he pursued Paul on the road to Damascus. And I believe you feel it. There are some of you right now, I know it because I've heard it and I've seen it again and again. You feel warm inside. You feel odd inside. You feel tingly, weird, like, like something's happening. You don't know what it is. Let me tell you what it is. The Spirit is pursuing you. He's coming after you because he wants to make you his own. And you just have to stop fighting, stop stiff-arming him and say, okay, I want you. I don't want to be an enemy of the cross anymore. I want to experience eternal life. I want to be changed. Let this be my moment. If that's you, it's not hard to respond to him. He's there with you. He's there right now beside you saying, will you let me come in and transform you? And if you're ready to say yes, all you do is you confess that you're not worthy. You humble yourself and say, forgive me of my sins. And then you say, I want the spirit of Christ to come and you invite Christ inside of you to transform you. And in that moment, when you cry out to him, you'll be saved. And if you're ready to make that decision today, we want to know about it because we want to partner with you. You can let us know just by either going to our website, fielder.org slash next step, or by texting the word next step to 94253, just like you see on your screen. And when you do that, you can reach out to us. Let us know what God's doing. We're going to pray for you. We're going to counsel with you. We're going to help you take the step of faith. But you need to do it now. So however the Lord is speaking to you during this next song, I want to encourage you. Respond. Remember your story or write your new story as you respond in faith. Now's the time.